Working as an FBI special agent was my dream job. My whistleblowing was apolitical and in the spirit of upholding my oath. Nonetheless, the FBI cynically elected to close ranks and attack the messenger. The FBI will crush you. This government will crush you and your family if you try to expose the truth about things that they are doing that are wrong. We are all examples of that. Joining us now are Steve Friend and Garrett O'Boyle. Thanks for joining us, fellas. FBI whistleblower Steve Friend and Garrett O'Boyle both join us now. Gentlemen, so glad to have you on the program. Thank you for your testimony. We need more folks like you, and I'm sure more people are going to be from your background are going to be giving you guys more intel as you're sharing that with the rest of us. We can kind of see that this is becoming normal for them to be held accountable because I think especially an institution that we pay their salaries, they need to be held accountable. I think a lot of people do share our, our beliefs and convictions. I think they just aren't at the point that Steve and I and others have gotten to. They're too afraid. age but facts are in short supply reject the noise ask bold questions and pursue the truth with fbi whistleblowers and founding suspendables garrett o'boyle and steve friend this is the american radicals podcast it is the american radicals podcast on a saturday Thank you so much for joining us today. I am your host, Steve Friend. Follow me on X at Real Steve Friend. Follow the show at AmRadPod. Thank you all for joining us today. If you're here, please give us a like and a follow. The show is growing. It's growing faster than we could have ever expected. Uh, GOB actual Garrett O'Boyle, my, my partner in crime, is still tra traversing the country from his, his experience in North Dakota. I'm sure he'll give us a nice after-action review. And I see him in the chat, actually. So, GOB, what's up? Why don't you uh, try to get on a phone call with us, maybe? And that way you can keep your perfect attendance record. Otherwise, I don't know. You might get a demerit. Uh, but who knows? He's in, he's in North Dakota. I, I, I Allegedly, they have internet there, but I can't speak definitively on that. Nevertheless, I am going to be joined today by a fellow suspendable, fellow recovering FBI agent, podcast host of The Kyle Serafin Show. And that's going to be Mr. Kyle Serafin. He'll join us in a minute. I just want to lay out what we're going to be talking about today. And that's something that's been near and dear to me as I've been going around and doing these speaking engagements. Last week was in Arizona for a number of days. Uh, I've probably been averaging, I don't know, maybe half a dozen speeches a month uh, over the last couple of months and dressing groups that could range from maybe a dozen people at a private event to I think there was 275, 300 people at a couple of the recent events that I went to. So various size audiences, but the message that I am driving home while I'm talking about my experience as an FBI whistleblower and then the other problems that I've been trying to bring to the forefront, how you're always asked, how do we confront this? What can we do? You get people jazzed up to take action. You want to give them action items. And to me, the ultimate problem that is plaguing the country that we are living in right now is an addiction to comfort. People are just too darn comfortable. And the message that I leave with these groups is America, as we, as we are always told, is not a country, that it's an idea. And I want to take that and proffer that beyond that, America is not just an idea. It's an actual an action verb. You have to do America. And, and that means that being an American is not a leisure pursuit. It means that you have to be willing to be inconvenienced sometimes. Sometimes you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And just too many people are living in that, that world where they are, I don't know, a, a character on Wally sitting in the, in the chair and having a screen in front of them uh, to talk to the person that's actually sitting at their side. Uh, can you tell I have small children? Uh, and, and I want to point to some of the examples today that we're seeing that are recent and then, and then also how this has been an ongoing problem for the country as we've been on this slow, methodical decline culturally, and maybe it's some ways that we might be able to overcome that. Maybe ways that we can insulate ourselves, prepare ourselves to do that. Certainly took those actions in my life, try to take them on a fairly regular basis to make sure that I'm sort of, I'm exercising the muscle of being uncomfortable so that when the time comes, when it's out of my control, I know that I can go to the dark place. I know that I can overcome whatever is in front of me and, and then maybe thrive and, and, and succeed. 
And whereas most people just trade it in and, and say, look, I, I will give over control as long as I have comfort, which is unfortunately what we saw in this country during the, the during the COVID madness. I think too many people were just willing to stay home, get their stimulus check and throw on their pajamas and do a Zoom call. And as a result of that, we now find ourselves in a country that's in $34 trillion of debt with an out of control, weaponized FBI, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so having said that, let's set the tone here. Uh, you know, the, I, I think that there's nothing more consummate than, than the, uh, the message that we get from, from an all-time classic, and that is Animal House. Let's hear what the dean has to say. Mr. Kroger, two C's, two D's, and an F. That's a 1.2 grade average. Congratulations, Kroger. You're at the top of the Delta Pledge class. Mr. Dorfman. Hello. 0 0.2. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. That's what the dean said. Kyle Serafin, I want to bring him on. Oh, my goodness. Sorry about that, folks. I want to bring on Kyle. Uh, I know, Kyle, that you uh, had somewhere in the area of a 0.2 GPA when you were attending Oklahoma, right? Or, or, or did you do, do a little bit better? I did better than that. Come on, man. Uh, I was a 0.75 for one semester. I, I solved some problems, and uh, I think I passed one class with flying colors that I cared about, and then I uh, basically didn't attend any of the other classes like a complete dummy. You don't get that one. That's not one of those things that you get uh, lightly. You have to actually earn a 0 0.75. So, but yeah, but luckily I wasn't, I may have been acting stupidly, but I don't think I was drunk and I wasn't fat. So I had at least, what, you know, one out of three ain't bad kind of thing. You had that going for you. You were top of the class, right? <laughs> I was top of my, my <laughs> retard pledge class. <laughs> what, what, was, uh, what were your, what are your thoughts on being uncomfortable? Your willingness to be uncomfortable. I know, you know, you, you did some pretty hard things physically in your life. Um, and you've talked about being drowned for like a hundred straight days. There's value to that. I, I really think that that translates once you can overcome something into, into other aspects of your life. I, I was talking to my kid, my kid actually asked me this. He said, uh, dad, was it hard for you to ask mom to go out on a date or ask mom to marry you? And I said, no, not really, because you just have to be willing to be uncomfortable for that brief moment where you put yourself out there. Right. And if you're unwilling to do that, you might never, you always just be a little creeper in the corner who never actually asks the girl out. And she just settles on the other guy who actually has this, the stones to come forward and, and ask her. I said, look, endure that brief moment of being uncomfortable and say, hi there, my name is Steve. Do you want to go get some tacos with me? And, and the worst thing that'll happen later. is she'll say no <laughs> or half an almond. I'll split an almond with you that's and, it, that's and it'll accurate. be great. <laughs> and and the worst thing that'll happen is she'll say no, and then you know that you can move on to the next person, or she'll say yes, and then you get to go out on a date. It's it's only an upside if you're willing to be uncomfortable. So, my take on it is this: there's a fundamentally masculine virtue in seeking discomfort, and and you know there's an old sort of adage: is like why would you ever climb that mountain? And and the answer is because it's there. That's why. Like there's no gain. You get to the top of a mountain. Like there's actually no monetary value from most people, unless you're like a YouTube star. Uh, for most people, the gain the gain is that you did it. Uh, there's a Taoist concept that the journey is the reward. And if the journey is simply a bunch of really easy things walking on level ground, you've run on hills, you've run on flat ground, and there's no real love. Like you get the you know you run a, a beach run and you're like meh, I ran. You run on the sand, you're like man, I ran on the sand. That sucked. Like my my calves are smoked. You know, my body is destroyed. I have the salty air on me. And so you talk about drowning for 100 days. We say that kind of flippantly. That's kind of a funny thing to say. I went through pararescue selection, which is called pararescue NDOC. Uh, I did that through the Air Force. I was a one-time through, no-fails kind of guy, which is not very common. Uh, this is a group of people that come in pre-qualified to do something pretty difficult. Everybody has to, like, pass the what they call the pass test. I think it's called the physical agility and stamina test. And you take the pass test, and then that pre-qualifies you to go in and do this. And then we take like 160 guys, like fit, red-blooded, all-American, corn-fed-looking hero types. They all look like Captain America, except me. Um, and it turns out like a couple of the guys that actually graduate turn out to not look good. That actually isn't the number of people that go through. The people that get through are mentally harder. Um, they're physically acceptable. 
and you just mentally are tougher than the guys around you who just give up in that one moment. And and we literally start with 160 guys, and the, the average graduation size for a PJ Indoc class is eight. And there's classes where no one has graduated. It has a higher fail rate than buds. I don't know if that's because of the the types of people that come into it or if it doesn't have the prestige like mentally but these are the guys that saved a bunch of people going through vietnam they, they cut their teeth as a, as a organization in vietnam and so going into it i was like yeah i watched guys fail out for two straight years working in a, in a parallel career path and knowing that i wanted to go do something that was hard and i wasn't scared of it ever and then and, and part of it is you have to be accepting that you may fail but you're going to fail giving it everything and leaving it all in the field and all the sort of virtues that we heard when we were kids about how to be a good player and how to be a good sport and how to be tough. And for some reason, I don't think men want to do things that are tough right now. And, and to me, that's fundamentally not masculine. It's really hard to watch. Like there's a, um, there's an idea that you should be comfortable and that that's what you should seek. I saw a video, this is totally unrelated you and I haven't even discussed this, but I saw a thing on Twitter um, earlier this morning and it was like this dude it's a dude who is videotaping on his phone. Like his instinct was not to draw a weapon system like you and me. It was to do this nonsense, which makes me want to puke. I, I don't understand. Like if someone is shooting at you folks and your instinct is to videotape it, you are prey. You're a small dog that's going to get picked off by an eagle. Like you are waiting for something bigger, stronger, meaner, faster to kill you. So and if you're a man, you're actually worse because you're shirking your responsibility. That even if you don't, you don't even shot. have a gun, you got to absorb those bullets. You, you got to get in a gunfight today without a gun. Sorry. Sorry. Not sorry. Like you and I have both agreed that that would be the pay. Like I carry a, a, like last case. If there's nothing else, I've got my fingers and I've trained myself to fight in some level of competency. And I'll, I'll take that over nothing because I'm just at least me and I've trained enough. Hopefully. You know, I've thrown enough hands at heavy bags with no, you know, no knuckle protection because that seems like the right thing to do. But like, if you got to get into a gunfight with no gun, so be it. Like, what are your options? You got a frying pan. You've got a, a butcher knife. You've got a towel. You're going to go like Steven Seagal on the guy. So be it. That needs to be the thing that happens. This guy let his girlfriend get shot in the leg and he's like an Instagram influencer type. And he looks like a beta. He looks like effeminate and weak and frail and he's got like cutesy pictures and she says hello cuties and she does the same thing they're both useless skillless human beings that we've been raising in this culture but she's the one who took a shotgun uh shell like someone fired at her and she had some bird shot in her leg or something so she's bleeding and they killed the guy that did it they being the cops a female cop no less and i don't know what city this happened and i just saw it and i was just like what in the actual hell is this but all of that makes no sense because his instinct was to film it because how else would you believe that i was in a shooting Dude, your instinct should be to finish that guy off for threatening your partner, your female partner, that you basically, by taking her on, if you're a man and you take a girl on a date, you've also sworn to protect her that night. That's my instinct on it. And kill anybody that wants to come after her. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's the masculine instinct that we all have, or we all should have, that I think is sort of being encouraged out of us you know, through through our youth. And that's why you have all these beta males that are now in positions of authority. And it's it's just unfortunate for all of us as a result of that. I was even thinking about the the old Bill Ingvall comedy bit where he was talking about uh, going Mach 1 uh, as a guest on a, uh, I guess he was a Blue Angel guest. And they're like, you know, if you go Mach 1, you get this gold star. And he said, that's when I realized the difference between men and women, because men are like, heck yeah. And the women are like, I, I don't want the star. That, that sounds bad. unsafe. And I'm like, is the star worth nothing? Is it just a piece of paper? Like, I'll do it for no star, just for me to be able to tell people I went Mach 1. That's what I tell people all the time. I look, the, the crowning athletic achievement, and it's a very short list that I have, um, is that I, I did, I participated, and actually won an ultra marathon. And people will say to me, why would you do that? And I said, for the T-shirt. Because it was there. Because it was there, and I got a T-shirt. I got my, my free $25 entry fee T-shirt. That's right. It, it, the thing is this, it's a fundamentally masculine instinct to do things that are challenging simply because you are testing your masculinity. And there's actually a value in it. It's more than just because you're there. That's being flippant. The real answer, I think, is that you're doing it because when challenged with something lighter than that, you've already set a standard that is higher than that. And that's the reason why you do training at a level. You're supposed to, to you know, sweat and bleed in training so you do less of that in, in war and combat. That's the reason why people train so hard. I had guys die in the training that I did. And it happened actually semi-frequently. Uh, we would lose a couple of guys every couple of years. And when I sat down, and there's always an investigation, and they're almost always cleared of it. It's like they had some congenital medical defect that nobody could find. One of my buddies was a guy named um, Epstein. Um, you know, no relation. We called him the rabbi samurai. He was neither Jewish nor was he um, 
a samurai, but uh, he was he was a Buddhist, I think, um, and he was a really really cool guy, and he was really uh, like dedicated to the craft of being hard as a human being. He went in with no fear. And when they made fun of him and they said, oh, your last name, like, you know, you sound like you're Jewish and he wasn't Jewish. They were like, whatever, like you're the rabbi. And then when he, they were like, oh my God, you have a Buddha in your, in your dorm room, in your, in your barracks. Like you're also the samurai. And they made him wear like a rising sun, um, you know, like headband, like, like Daniel San around his, his, his uh, helmet when he was training and they would just screw with him. And, and he just accepted it because that's what men do. It's like, oh, you, that's from love. That's making you harder. And one of the reasons why he failed out is we did a bunch of underwater work. We talk about drowning. Basically, they put you through all these paces where you're physically exhausted, you're anaerobic, and then you're going to go underwater in your full uniform and kit and boots and swim around for unknown distances, sometimes in the dark. And they did that to him. And then they pulled him out. And then uh, they do this thing they call you, they say, jack your feet. So many of you have never jacked your feet. What it means in, uh, in our context was is you would basically throw yourself into a handstand with your feet up on a fence, a chain link. Um, and your face is towards the fence, so your feet and your toes are into the fence, and then you do push-ups on a, on a count. So next exercise is the push-ups or whatever, you know, and then, and then begin, and then they say down, and you go down, you hold it in this horrible position where your face is like crushed into the pavement, and then up, and you push yourself up, and then you do that until David blacked out, and he had a complete failure of his body where he was no longer circulating oxygen because he had just stressed his heart to the point where a patent foramen ovale came into play and he lost consciousness because he didn't have enough oxygenated blood circulating through his brain because he was upside down. And that's not the way your body's meant to function necessarily. And when that happened, he went back to that course six years later after getting disqualified and then working through every single thing to do it again, he pushed his way back there. Why? Because it was there because it, there was a hole in his heart. That was the shape of that challenge that he was unable to best. And he wasn't going to let that beat him. And everything about that. I absolutely love. I love Men that say that challenge bested me, I'm gonna get back up. That's the whole point of Rocky. Rocky yeah. isn't the best puncher, he's the best punch absorber, and he outlasts everybody in there. It's in the uh, intro video, right? Like that's that's an American idea. That's why the British didn't take us out. So, anyway, we always had that instinct in this country until very recently when we're now celebrating the soft times, which is making you know, soft men are making hard times for us. Not a question about it. And look. You just got to live your life from your deathbed, I think. And that, that's a guy who didn't want to go to that deathbed knowing that he hadn't actually tried to complete that course when he could have. So all the all the credit in the world to him to, to make that attempt. You know, and I, I ran 50 miles for a T-shirt, folks. But to transition here, you do not have to do that to get your T-shirt. How do you like Ooh, that one, Kyle? No How about that one? Can you get this T-shirt? <laughs> you, can, you can. And look, uh, I want to make sure we were plugging uh, Garrett's family sweatshop, the O'Boyle family sweatshop, which I don't know what's going on, man. They're, they're unstaffed right now at the moment as the family is out. Uh, and but there is no sweat being go, generated in the sweatshop. No, it's, I mean, completely just idle, which is unacceptable. So we have to make sure that he returns home and has a full slate of orders in the order uh, queue. And you can too get your, your shirt to match what Kyle is wearing right now. And it is right there. There's the, the last, last line, line Substack T, which has the, the M4 carbine with the quill at the other end. You don't know what is mightier, the pen or the sword, the sword or the pen. Who knows? Uh, but it's a pretty cool shirt. I think you probably get a lot of heads turning when you wear it. Uh, I got to get mine. I actually like the, the black one with the neon green. I think that one pops a little bit better. I don't know who told me they didn't like it. I think Ryan Matta told me that that wasn't his favorite. But I sent you guys a picture of it the other day. And uh, and I may even be able to pull and show it up on the, on the screen. But I have it next to my night vision. And it just looks... Like it's a shirt you should be wearing with night vision. Like that's the last thing somebody might see if they decide to engage you in the, in the darkness. I, I sort of love it. Yeah. I, I got the patches here too. So I, I was throwing these up here. These are really, really high quality patches. They're uh, PVC vinyl patches. If you guys have ever ordered these before. So these are like the rubberized version. They feel like a silicate and uh, they've got really nice detail on them too. You can actually see each of the individual feathers on the wings. Garrett did a really nice job putting this thing together. And uh, obviously they're worn Eagle down, but I've got some of them on my plate carrier that I use if I were to be, the guy that would run in a plate clear, which I won't say I do or don't. And then I've got one of them on my night vision helmet as well. My helmet that's, uh, I've got an ops core that sits with a little, it's a blacked out version of it on one side, American flag IR, and then blackout. Oh, I need to get my patch and throw it on a, a plate carrier and then just like run on the beach for an intro video for us. That that would be the thing to do, I think. Yeah, we'll replace the Rocky uh, running with Apollo and uh, we'll do it with you and maybe Garrett O'Boyle like on a bicycle behind you, like with the fat tires. Cause he's as long as I don't have to have like the really homoerotic hug in, you know, knee deep water that they had in Rocky 3. That's and that a requirement. Scene, no, no, that's... no, that's, no, you have to do it. 
in, in suspendables ranger panties all right it, skies out thighs out and look the quad s is, is going to be have a you thing. ever heard skies out thighs out until you met me yes i knew rangers though okay <laughs> it's right. a thing it's not not a kyle or Sarah no it's original, not but, it, but it's, it's a good one it's a thigh thing so let's uh but let's talk about some of the things that I, I think are relevant to this this comfort issue or at least i see a comfort issue being one of the driving forces behind the problem that has ensued in the reporting and not a sponsor of our show i know a sponsor of yours catholic vote i pulled several of the stories that we're going to cover here from the loop and uh, again free advertisement for them this is one of the best news aggregators that i've actually encountered it's so out, good. out there it's amazing it's it's insane um, so I encourage everybody to sign up for that one. Uh, I know they support Kyle uh, and just give them your email and you get a daily and you get actually get one on the weekend too. So it's, it's, it's excellent. So I want to show the first story. And uh, this one came out uh, two days ago and this was a school board president takes an oath of office with hand on sexually explicit LGBTQ books. So and of course her name's man. Karen, by the way. <laughs> Her name's Karen. Just like Whoopi Goldberg. Of course. Uh, and, and look, the, the reason I, I want to highlight this is, is because, look, I've, I've been the guy at the school board meetings. I've, I've gone to a few of them when they're, they're contentious. The reason that she is now on the school board is solely because people are addicted to being comfortable and convenienced. They couldn't be inconvenienced to go and vote for a person. And I guarantee you this was not a stealth candidate. She was out there loudly and proudly talking about what she was going to do. She was going to bring this pornographic material into the schools. And people could not be inconvenienced. This is a, a new election. So this is obviously a, a relatively new person being sworn in. Might have been a special election. Might have been from the recent November elections. I'm not sure on the details of that. But people couldn't have been motivated to get to the polls. And, and you know they had ample opportunity. It's not like we have a voting day anymore. And they couldn't be inconvenience or willing to be uncomfortable to go to the meeting. She knows that. She knows that when she goes to the meeting, that she's not going to have 200 angry parents that are going to come up and make her stay there for nine straight hours as they all give three-minute speeches just ripping on her for that individual act. She's confident enough to do this because she knows there's not going to be any clapback from the parents. And just speaking of my own experience of going to the school board recently where we read the pornographic material, I went there with probably half a dozen moms. I was the only guy. Again, where are the dads? Where are the men that are willing to do this? Apparently, they were too busy with, I don't know, Monday Night Football or their fantasy league or whatever they were into. I wasn't having fun, but I'm willing to give up a night of Netflix or whatever to go and assist those moms for liberty who were there. And they asked me to come in. And we went there. We were outnumbered probably 15 to 1, without question. And it was all people with face tattoos and earrings in areas that they should not have been and hair that was pink and green a lot of elderly women that were dressed like that too and i'm fairly confident that most of those people did not have children actually in the public schools because fairly confident most of them had chopped off their genitals so their entire goal was to make that a choke point make the school board a choke point for communists where they can push out the good parents that outnumber them substantially but are just unwilling to be inconvenienced and unwilling to be uncomfortable walking in there, walking into the lion's den and actually reading the text out of these books. It's a very uncomfortable situation to be in. But again, it's a moment of being uncomfortable. You have to look beyond that. What are you willing to do? I, I'm willing to be to acknowledge the situation that the country is in at this point. And I, I contend that we're in a cold civil war. And one side is just to addicted to comfort to confront the other side which is willing to do anything willing to castrate their own children the question then becomes what are you willing to do to stop the cold civil war from going hot and having your children have to fight the next antietam now i'm willing to walk in there and read a few lines out of a, por a pornographic material so that the book can be removed from the shelves and then i can have all the jazz hands of people saying that they're angry for me being waived because they couldn't boo. That's the rules of the school board. I want to jazz hands. I'm right just now. one person. I appreciate that. Just don't, don't no snaps. No snaps are definitely a no, no, but this back to the story here, this woman knows that a Steve friend or Kyle Serafin is not going to show up at the school board. And that's why she swears out her oath of office on a bunch of kitty porn books. And I think that that is easy, easily something that can be rectified. 
it doesn't take very many people. Like I get, again, we went there with six people. We are now we're probably 90, but 90 to, to six. But at the same time, we got several books removed from the public school system because we were willing to do that. We were willing to exercise the power and the authority that actually exists for you if you're just willing to be a little bit uncomfortable. You agree with that one, Kyle? I think that uh, one of the things that I do is that uh, I homeschool my kids on purpose. And I do so not because I'm the only person that can indoctrinate my children. And my wife does most of the work right now, but I'm sure I'll have some lessons in the future. It's actually because I don't want to have to skin somebody like that and leave them for the coyotes to eat in the desert. So I'm actually a humanitarian. It's actually a gentle, it's a loving Christian thing that we we keep our kids away from people like that so I don't have to engage those people kinetically. That's my take on it. I've said that to people and watched some eyebrows raise. I may or may not have said that in my old office when I was working for the FBI. I don't want to have to skin another human being for doing something horrendous to my children but they're like the number one thing in my life. And if I had to die for them, that would be the way it would. Like, I actually feel fine knowing that I have enough good people in my life that would step in and do the right thing. And part of it's because I've met you guys. And I know that there are people that would step in and, and step in. And like, what else are you saving it for if it's not for your kids? It was, the, it was always my problem with Uvalde. And you're right. Like, like all these things trickle down. Uvalde is the worst case scenario. That lady swearing in on a stack of pornography is like the, the gateway to get there to me. It's people not doing their damn duty. And look, again, back, back to being willing to do it. My kids aren't in public school. I send my kids to a small Christian school, but I, yet I went to the public school board meeting because I know that there is a contribution to my society. I'm, I, I'm a citizen it's actually, of the country. It's, it's actually like other kids' outcomes is actually in your best interest and your kids' yes. best interest. That's the really crazy yes. thing because who else are they going to date? Who else are they going to marry? Who else are they going to work with? what I said. I, I don't want my kids to marry a vile, murderous, Marxist, communist that went through the public school system. So it is in my interest of my progeny for me to go there. But it's also my interest of, of being a member of my community. This is what citizenship actually looks like. Unfortunately, though, people just don't don't even answer their own front door anymore. They don't interact with their neighbors anymore, let alone uh, give up a, a Tuesday night in the middle of the week to go down and sit at the school board meeting where they actually know that parents are unwilling. And then the few that are there, they will specifically make it inconvenient and long and dragged out to mitigate. And actually, the, the one time you go, oh, well, this is horrible. I'm never coming back again. It's by design. So that they, the, the communists that actually have seeds because they know it's a choke point can run that school board. And then the school board responds to the whims of the people that are willing to sit there for the nine hours that it takes to do it. And it's all a game. It's all a scheme. Uh, and, and so to transition then, beyond just a, a school board member, this, this actually hits us at a, at a, at a national level. Uh, I know that, that uh, Tommy Tuberville, he's Tuberville. Everybody calls him Tuberville. Uh, but he was Tommy Tuberville it's, while he was a football coach, and I'm just going to stick with that. It's so, probably correct, but I just got to say that it's spelled Tuberville. It is, but he's been called Tuberville. I know when he coached Auburn and Cincinnati, that was his that was his name. At least that's what ESPN called him. So I, I, Look, I just, just because he's a that. famous hockey coach doesn't mean that people should have to pronounce his name correctly. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought no, I thought he was a pickleball guy, but I don't, that's right. <laughs> um, so Tommy Tuberville though has been taking the stand and he's been holding up these military promotions for a while because of the abortion issue that's going on in the military, where they are funding abortion for members and for service members' family. They're paying for their travel to cross state lines because of the, the Dobbs-Jackson decision. There's some states that are going to restrict that. And now it's a sacred duty of the Department of Defense to allow the wife of a soldier to go and kill her kid. Now, Tommy Tuberville has actually taken a stand on it for a number of, of months. He's been holding up these promotions, which I, I do want to ask you just as a side note. I, Kyle, you're a military. I, I don't understand why that's a big deal. It seems like we could just have a a, a person filling a role. They can do the job. It, it, who cares what the stripes are on their sleeve? It, it It's irrelevant to me. If we want to put somebody in a position, it's not like they can't send the troops in to take a hill because like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have that authority. I'm only a lieutenant general. That, that's ridiculous. They could just, I, I was an acting supervisor when I was in the FBI. I had this exact same authority that a supervisor had I was acting because the guy before me had retired and there was an interim amount of time before they got a replacement, but they can't just leave that chair empty. They have to have somebody uh, who's willing to be accountable and, and make the decisions and sign off on things. And I just filled the gap for, uh, for a couple of months until we got a permanent replacement. So it seems to me that there's actually military opening, 
vacancies that are crucial and pivotal to the mission at hand, they'll be filled. So this seems like a largely symbolic gesture, but nevertheless, Tommy Tuberville this week finally came out and said that he is going to withdraw. He's going to end the uh, his pro-life protest after doing it for almost a year. And, and my problem with that is not that th there was not a, an end game here. What, what was the point to doing it? And, and what is the motivation for now ceasing that? And it seems in reading up uh, about what the Tommy Tuberville is saying is, look, I fought the good fight. I did this as long as I could. He's receiving a lot of pressure from his caucus, the, the Senate Republicans, Joni Ernst, chief amongst them. That's an Iowa senator. She was my senator for a amount of time. Uh, Joni Ernst is good for one campaign ad every six years <laughs> and then just votes straight communist after that. She's a horrible, horrible senator from a very, very red state of Iowa. Nevertheless. That's that's so shocking, though, isn't it? It is. But I mean, it's it's indicative of how Republican politics play out, where basically these Democrats live in areas where it's a heavy Republican state. And they know they're never going to get elected. So I'll just run as a Republican and I'm a talented politician. I can I get elected. I can say conscience. the right thing. I have to vote my conscience. My conscience. Yeah, Joni Ernst has voted for gay marriage and, and she's she's awful. But what Gross. what is Tommy Tuberville's cave here? Uh, he doesn't want to be uncomfortable within his own caucus. He doesn't want to be ostracized at lunchtime. He doesn't want to have to sit by himself in the cafeteria. And he's willing to let babies die so that he can be comfortable. That's ultimately what we're saying. What it boils down to, it's it's very similar to when they have the the fight over the budget and, and the Republicans will say something like, we can't have a shutdown. It's like, well, so that's your marker. That is the 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 primary concern here. So you're willing to let the FBI kick in the door of a Mark Houck, so we can't have a government shutdown. That where the government workers are all going to be paid for the work that they're doing. The military is not going to shut down. The mandatory spending is still all going to happen. But we just don't want to have that bad message. It's going to be bad. It's going to create a lot of static for us. The Washington Post might write write some weird and then mean op eds that are that are nasty and make us feel very uncomfortable when we go out to get our steak dinners in Washington D.C. So similarly, Tommy Tuberville is just uncomfortable and he's willing to let little people die in the womb because of that and i'll say it straight up that everything that he did he has erased all the goodwill that he built up for the last 10 months when he first got elected from alabama that's a blood red state and i thought that's a chamber of commerce republican he's just he's not going to be impressive and then he surprised me he took a stand just on this issue look he could vote left on every single issue he could vote essentially to be Bernie Sanders on every issue, but stand up for life. I think I might take that trade. I what's think even, I, what's I, even funnier is they would despise him on the left, even though he agreed with them 98% of the time because uh, he's screwing with their sacrament of abortion, which yes, is what it is. That's, that's it. That is what it is. It's I, a religious debate. I heard this, this pointed out to me once, and I, I think it's probably pretty spot on. They said, look, if you uh, actually had a parting of the clouds and God's hand came down and said to you, Kyle, Steve, I, I appreciate you fighting this fight for, uh, for on pro-life. Uh, and I know that this is on your heart, but I, what I'm telling you is abortion is okay with me. And we'd say, oh, okay. And we would just go along with the left on that. But if the clouds parted and, and it wouldn't be God, it would be like Darwin or Gaia came down and told the left, this is wrong. They, they would say, well, I'm still going to fight. I'm still going to fight on this. It means that much to them. And obviously it doesn't mean enough to Tommy Tuberville or the, uh, the only, there's no logic in this position. That's the problem. The problem mm -hmm. is it's not based on logic. It's based on a, uh, a blind obedience to something that doesn't make any sense to you and me. And, and for me, a lot of this comes down to the same kind of thing with the, uh, the COVID shots. It was like, you must get the COVID shots or you are killing people. You are literally killing people. And you go, well, are they going to stop people from dying? And they go, yes. And you go, didn't people who got the shots die with COVID? Yes. But that's because you didn't get it. And it's the great meme. It's like some guy standing there and he's like, oh, my, my deodorant didn't work. And this girl's like, oh, that means mine's not working. And you yes. go like, this is so illogical. Like there's no there's no simple cognitive distance. I've actually had people calling me out online in the last couple of days and they've been mad about my position on January 6th and BLM riots, which I think actually are pretty, they're pretty simple to line up. I think you and I had the same thing on it. It's like, I'm willing to be uncomfortable about telling people on the on the political right that if you were involved in violence on that day that like i 
I don't like what you did. But here's my problem. If the, if the scales of justice are not evenly weighed out, and we actually just covered this, um, I, I covered this as one of the, the tweets I did. It was like, there's a kid who threw explosives at dudes that were uh, Border Patrol at the courthouse in Portland. He was walking around free, and he ended up dying because he was stabbed to death because he was a turd, and he did turd things. And someone stabbed him at the corner store because he picked a fight with the wrong guy who, who shanked him. He was free to die in a stabbing in another altercation, whereas people that you know did similar actions are stuck in jail in D.C. I just don't think that's right. I don't know. I just, like, just want to be consistent. You don't see any interest in being consistent or fair-minded or saying, hey, you've said something that's completely illogical. It doesn't actually jive with the previous thing you said. How can you say that all women matter and you must believe all women, but you're going to kill 50%, 50% of the abortions are little girls that are killed off, that will never be little women, that will probably agree with you, strangely enough, if they were born. Again, back to the, the comfort thing. You have to be willing to say things that might not be politically correct, as we used to say. And, and when it comes to the injustice and the two-tiered system of justice, the example I use is Bill Cosby. I'll say it. Bill Cosby deserves to be a free man. And that really sucks for the women who he raped. Mm -hmm. But the government inserted itself and it turned away from what Bill Shipley identified as is its prime directive. And that is the process only. The process is we have a prosecution, we present the facts of the case, and then they have their day in court. The and fair process is really what the more accurately, right? Because it's yes. not just the process, because they do a process. The process is just not fair. If it's a fair process, that's the government's game, is how pure can we make our job in bringing this case to trial? And then the outcome of it is completely out of our hands because it's not what we're interested in. The wins and loss column do not matter. Convictions, acquittals do not matter. The victory is in the fair process. And with when it came to Bill Cosby, they lied to him, got him to admit to crimes off the record, and then used them against him. And again, it really sucks for the women who are sexually assaulted. 100%. But the government got involved, put its thumb, its entire arm on the scale, and violated Bill Cosby's due process rights. And he deserves to be a free man. And I think that the same thing is going to wind up applying if there's any semblance of justice with January 6th. There were people who assaulted police officers, and, does, and those are crimes. And ordinarily, you deserve to go to jail for that. Well, like I was a that's, cop. I, that's the other problem, though. Ordinarily, we actually don't do anything about it. They just gave yes. a guy They gave a guy 11 years. Washington field office was crowing about it because he threw an explosive device. Same, same story that we're talking about. This is the parallel. Kid in Portland, out on bail, never got tried, ended up getting stabbed because he was a free man. Guy in... Uh, who was in California, then moved to Texas, threw uh, like some kind of a firework pyrotechnic, got 11 years. A dude who was just convicted of murder in D.C. got 10 years. Murder. Nobody was permanently injured. Nobody, like like people were discomforted, like their ears may hurt. Like having a firework thrown in a small area is definitely a problem. But it's not an 11-year felony under any circumstances except when you add politics to it. Exactly. The same for the people that were praying inside of a Planned Parenthood, looking at 11 years for a FACE Act violation. Because it was and, in D.C. Yes. And the number that I saw that Chip Roy brought out about the FACE Act that blew my mind in he, 1994. So it's 29 years that that law has been. And he said that the FBI or the DOJ has prosecuted 130 violations of the FACE Act. 126 of them applied to abortion clinics Four, for religious organizations, crisis pregnancy centers, or churches, which is the second part of that. You, they can't interfere with your ability to go and worship, which does, did anybody remember 2020 when they were going into the actual churches and insisting on people taking a knee while the religious services were going on? That's a- That's my Super Bowl, by the way. You don't know that, but that's, what I, that's why I wake up early on Sundays for that moment. I look forward to someone trying to interrupt mass while my family is praying, and I will body slam them on the way to the altar. You carry not, a church? And I'm not, oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Oh, I, can, right. I, I definitely carry, but I don't, need to, I don't need to shoot somebody because they're trying to interrupt mass. I will just body them. And I'm not a big guy. I'm just willing to throw every single thing that I have, all 185 pounds at whatever top speed it is. I'm, I'm like a dwarf. I'm dangerous over short distances, unlike Steve Brent. So like, if I hit you, like, at least you'll remember it. And most likely, you're probably going to be a tubby piece of garbage. So that'll be really fun. <laughs> Gosh. Hey, Ke hey Keely D just uh, just, just dropped a, a rant in here, and I want to acknowledge that. Uh, she says, uh, I, I despise weak men, so proud. My three daughters, all grown, are toxic masculine. Love it. Love it. Make sure that uh, you, ladies 
find you a man who is uh, strong over short distances, or at least willing to hit as hard as he can whenever he does hit. That's uh, that's that's all you can ask. Look, not everybody's built big, not everybody built strong. Everybody is built to the point where the possibility exists that you may have to engage in physical violence. And if you haven't prepared yourself, you told me something that I really love and I, I've been carrying it around and I've shared it with others. The first round in my handgun is already fired. It just hasn't found a target yet. So I may die with that target never being found and that'd be fine. But should the opportunity present itself where that target has made itself available to me and suggested to me that it needs to be dealt with, then I will. I love that mindset. Same thing with your hands. If you haven't already put yourself in a situation, you're like, fill in the blank action equals, I'm going to tell you to knock it off. Next action equals I stand in the gap between whoever needs to be protected. The next action equals, and they can all happen at the same time, of course. It could be one action that get that gets you the whole spectrum. But another action is my hands are getting involved. You're going to get physically touched or hit. That's what happens next. And the last one is you forfeited your life. You've just made a deadly force scenario where I have to engage you. You haven't given me a choice. You've actually decided, not knowing who I was, maybe knowing who I was, that you have now forfeited your life with whatever I have I'm going to throw at you. If you haven't figured that out as a man, and I don't want women to have to engage in that. I'm fine with women carrying guns. I think they should. But name to me one female FBI agent that you worked with in the academy uh, or out that you couldn't disarm with no with no weapons. Is there one? No, none. And you're not a big guy. I'm not a big guy. But would you would you say objectively that you are physically stronger, that you have higher grip strength than every single female that we worked with in our federal agency? Yes, I, I I knew some women that were former military. They're actually on SWAT, and I would not fear her at all in a physical contest. And, and that's not on her. You can, no, because she's, she's doing the best she could with what God gave her. Look, the best physical tiered athlete against the best physical men that's not even close. I know Jordan Peterson covers this long form. This is not controversial stuff, it turns out. But the average man is going to be dangerous to even an elite female. Like even like even like a Ronda Rousey type. I don't know any other like female fighters or uh what, what's the um uh the the gal that got uh, canceled by Disney. What was her Gina name? Gina Carano. Gina Carano seems like a stud. And she looks like she actually looks the part when she bodies people like in The Mandalorian before they canceled her. Like she looked like a person who knew how to handle business. And yet, like a decent sized man connects with a decent, you know, aimed punch to the jaw or the head. And it could be over for her. Because the strength mismatch is not even fair. Hence Fallon Fox. You know the bone structure, the muscle structure, all of it. I mean, there's gonna be the some density, broken orbital everything else. sockets. It's not, yeah. It's, it's like be ugly. This, this shouldn't this shouldn't be wild stuff for anybody to understand. And yet, for some reason, we've decided to because of the stupidity, because people are not willing to get into like an uncomfortable social situation, we are now literally debating fixed biology that has been the case since the dawn of man. Like, I don't know where that comes from. I don't well, know why people think it comes from be nobody from. in the room being willing to say, this is stupid. And you all are stupid for doing it because that might be uncomfortable. It might be, it might mean that you don't have somebody sitting next to you at the lunch table, but I, I guess we're in the minority people. We're not willing to be the Wallies that are sitting there and just drinking our soda and looking at our screen all the time. We're willing to actually get up and, and say it. And that's, unfortunately, that's, that's a uh, uncommon characteristic, but hopefully it gets gained some traction. That's that's certainly what I'm pushing hard on. Well, you, you sent me that you sent me that meme a number of times, and I think this is such this is the debate that people need to to deal with right now. This is the uh, the understanding of like, how do you become comfortable with being uncomfortable? You have to be right. That's number one. So you've got this great meme. It's like this masses of like NPCs, the non-player characters that are all kind of gray faced with kind of a twitchy little nose, whatever, and they're all looking. And there's one guy in the front wearing white. Everyone else is wearing gray, and all the gray people. You know, it just says everyone or the FBI in our case. And the suspendables are the one guy. And it just says the suspendables and says, you are all wrong. Because the, the basic facts of the matter are this. An Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card actually covers this down pretty well. It's, it's like you can predict all human behavior right up until the point when you can't predict it in the same way. When everybody thinks one way and you stand against the mob, you're probably wrong. Except when you're absolutely right. And so you just need to know that you're right. And not like, I feel like I'm right, or I want to be right, or like, I can't be wrong. Like, you have a moral standing that is beyond whatever else is in front of you. And when you are right, there is no negotiation whatsoever. That's how you end up with the Holocaust. Everybody else knew what was going on, but they didn't want to say it. They were, they were not going to be uncomfortable. They weren't going to be excommunicated from polite society. Some people actually believed in the mission of the Nazis. We know that. Like, they were down with it. A lot of people went along with it. So that's how, it, it's very hard. You've got to know. And that means you've had to put yourself mentally through all the paces to be there. And, and that's the, the battle that you're always fighting against these 
American communists. They have the absolute, they're absolutely convinced in the righteousness of what they're doing. Yeah, moral certainty. The, 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 the street communists absolutely do. Those are the people that are going and screaming at the school board meetings. The elite ones, not so much. They've kind of figured out the grift on it, which is why uh, I think it's interesting when you see the street communist transition into the elite communist. So that I would like be calling like your, somebody a street communist. That's AOC. Yeah, that's AOC. I was just going to say that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I, I, I can hear it in your head screaming you know <laughs> just she was she was the fresh face on the scene and she had all that that wise latina thing going on and uh she lost i guess her chief uh, advisor he left pretty early because look alexandria ocasio-cortez auditioned to become a congresswoman there they that was a weird district that had an off-year election and weird primary time and it was his name was Joe something who was actually, he was like third in line for the Democrats who, who controlled that district. But they realized that it was a heavy minority district and he was an old white guy. So she went out and she knocked on doors, she auditioned for it. And then they pulled all the levers of power behind her. And there was a actual documentary showing how they all pushed her. She gets in, but she's still a street communist. She still is, despite claiming that she had this great elite education, which obviously didn't take her economics and foreign affairs degree. She was a bartender. She's a bartender. And even if she did graduate with honors from Boston University, that doesn't say anything to me as far as intellect level. So did all the people that Will Smith beat out to become a men in black. Correct. They were all elite with honors too. Yes. And he was the one who figured out how to pull the table over to actually take the test. And they were all just leaning. This is to like even play. even that scene though, that scene is so it's so iconic. Why? Because just because you've been educated doesn't mean that you're smart. That's what Dan Bongino calls the stupid smart people. AOC is a smart, stupid person. She's the inverse of that. And they're equally dangerous, it turns out. She's very capable of doing things without knowing anything. I, and now she's making the transition. She's going to be there for 40 years. She's going to be the next Nancy Pelosi. Mm -hmm. And she will... I hope she starts drinking like that, too. Oh, man. I think drunk AOC is going to be a lot of fun. Well, just, we've seen her. She's talking... She had videos early on that I remember listening to because I was, I was on a podcast. But... She was in this apartment. She was like, what is this thing? And it was a garbage disposal. Oh, and then yeah, but those are foreign to people in New York because they don't live in America. <laughs> they live in New York. Is... That's a real that's a real concern. Like nobody knows what that is. It's... You you're married to a New Yorker. She didn't know what a garbage disposal was? No, my wife is educated and intelligent. Those are two right. things she has. She's neither stupid smart nor smart stupid. But uh, that's why we got along. She also lived in America. She came to Texas and became a naturalized citizen of the United States, which is very well... helpful. That's a relief. That's she relief. turned I mean, in her New York passport, and uh, you know she's a naturalized Texan type. She owns guns. Like she's okay. She's she's good. I mean, how how amazing is this that the circumstances that we're both married to women that didn't come from America? I mean, mine came from I know Western Russia. Now at this point, <laughs> <laughs> and yours from New York, and equally communist. Which is I'm, also, I'm not sure. Yeah, equally communist. <laughs> I think actually the Russians these days are less communist than the New Yorkers are. Side word. side note, here, here, this is actually a story. I remember going shopping with my wife before we had kids. We were at the grocery store and it was just sort of this uh, two moments that, we, that I've had that I really, she's not a political person. I think ideologically she aligns with what I am, but I'm in the news more. She's kind of totalitarian in your house. I've listened to some of the conversations when the mic's on. Oh, I mean, it's, it's just nothing but scar tissue in the back of my head from all the wax I take. So it's, it's fine at this point. And the, and the kids know, you know, when my mom said my full name, she'd be like, Stephen Michael, friend. I'd be like, mm. oh, I'm in trouble. But my, my kids know when the Russian starts getting spoken that that they're in trouble. Uh, but but we we were. My at wife the does store. that in Italian, by the way. When she there starts getting really pissed, doesn't that mean she's a minority according to her? She's not all white, if that's what you're asking. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's a famous Emily statement. <laughs> but we were in the in the produce section, and there was the stack of bananas, right? Like hundreds of, of bunches of bananas. And uh, we grabbed one and she just had this moment where she was like the thousand yard stare. And she said, you know, I remember when I lived back in, in Ukraine with my mom and my mom would save and save and she would have enough money to go to the store and buy us one banana and we would share the banana. And it was like this wonderful moment. And I just was like, man, living in a third world country. And then I lived in America in 2023 and experienced by inflation and know what's coming. That being, that being said, bananas are still cheap because we conquered Hawaii. And the macadamia nuts. When I went out there, man, let me tell you, like you could, you could if you could subsist off, like I have subsist off of almonds. But when I move to live on the volcano, so I could live on the mountain and run. Do people know that you're doing that? If they didn't watch yesterday's show with with, with the Kyle Seraphin show, they don't know that you're moving to a volcano now. You yes. want the heat, but you want a mountain. 
it's a very romantic notion that most real American men have. And I think it's indicative of the idea of what America is supposed to be. Amer America is supposed here's to be the thing. Living on the mountain is hard for its yeah. own sake. It's hard to get up to where things are. You either walk up or you're walking down. You're always walking one way. You're going to be walking up the, up the mountain, right? You're either walking up to go get wood and dragging it down, or you're walking down and dragging it up. But either way, it kind of sucks. And you're doing it because it's also harder to get to you there and it's safer. So you're willing to invest difficulty in your life to build security, to build, put you out of touch of the loonies. So you got an elevated fighting position. Like all the, there's a reason why all the hills used to be like all the hills used to be where the cities were. The city on the hill is not a metaphor. It's legitimately the way it worked in almost all of human history. Why? Because then you could see the enemies coming at you. You wanted to be up high. So of course Americans want that. Except when you want to live in the low, like living in New Orleans is the antithesis of living on a mountain. Is, that must be why New Orleans is one of the most evil cities that exist. I mean, it's they the have the lowest this, physical, yeah, yes. below sea level. I, sure. I, I heard this once. It was, you know, you wake up there and it's just foggy. I, apparently, I, I've never been in New Orleans, but apparently they have fog come in. Pretty should go to, you and me should go to New Orleans for, um, for Mardi Gras and just have like a two day hate fest. I, it, it is like the easiest way for you to become fully enraged. You should do it and then run a marathon afterwards because you'll need to. Um, Either that or a radical traditional Catholic. You'd yeah, just well, doing we'll, an we'll exorcism to, we'll, all we'll the go time. Go to Latin mass or something, dude. I I remember going with a bunch of guys from my mil from my military time when I was uh, stationed at uh, Biloxi. So I was in Biloxi, Mississippi, and we went there. And I was the sober mommy, you know, mommy sober driver. And I, you know, that feeling because I know you were that in college too. And so I drove everybody down to freaking Mardi Gras, and everybody's talking about how there's going to be like nude women flashing their breasts and stuff like that. I saw more dudes swinging their dongs out of windows. I don't know what was going on there, but I was like, this place is horrible. Everything about like, even I remember the, the song, uh, the song that was really big right then was like the shot, 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 shot. So they were playing that everywhere and people were drinking shots. And I was like, I'm surrounded by idiots. I'm surrounded by swinging dongs coming out of windows. I can't leave this city soon enough. It like, it needs a bath. Katrina didn't do the work. That sounds callous. I'm sure it is, but like, it needs to be washed badly i remember daniel tosh said if there was ever a city that needed a bath it was it was new orleans and man i felt that very strongly it was a post post katrina new orleans i went to but it was ugly it was gross i've always heard that that, that fog that sort of ensconces the city is is god's way of saying like i don't even want to look at what's going on in new orleans yes I, it would yeah I don't understand that identity that's that's tied to it and i always think it's hysterical that their football team's called the saints <laughs> But it is a great song. Yes, it is. It is. It is. That's why they have that as their... Yeah, it's because somebody goes like... Like the, like the band's playing in the street. That's awesome. The music of it... Here's the thing. Because I, I live in outside Austin now, and I and I lived in Austin when it didn't suck. Like People ask me if I'd move back into the city of Austin. I'm like, yeah, in 2002, but I can't time travel, so no. Um, and, and in 2002, Austin, and even in 2010 and 15, up to about 15 when I left, it was, it was starting to get bad. But the amazing thing was it was a lot like New Orleans. There were people that were drinking in the streets. There was a lot of like social, but the difference was people come from out of town to go screw up New Orleans. They're like, it's not even my house. Like, like leave stuff, vomit. In the you would never do that where you live. And they don't do it in Austin or they didn't used to. Now they do, but they didn't used to do that in Austin. So you had all of the like sort of sociality and the, and the walking around and sort of the nightlife culture, which can be very cool. It can be really neat to see, especially if you're younger. Or if you're older and you don't have your kids and you can go out, which I can't do anymore and you can't do anymore, but maybe we will one day. But you can go see that, listen to music, whatever. And you may go do that. You could do that in Austin up until a while. But people trash it in New Orleans like it's not their house because it's not their house because they don't live there. They come in, they destroy it, and New Orleans sort of like, yeah, we'll just clean up all the streets. The street sweeping crews that happen at like 3 and 4 in the morning in New Orleans are amazing. They're wild. I think they're there's no way they're government workers. That's got to be a private contract. I'm that, sure it's that, privately contracted, but there's people out there power washing the streets every night, you know, getting all the vomit and all the blood and all the stupidity and all the, the, the trash and litter. I know we've kind of gone off. A, off no, we went here, off but... a real, uh, <laughs> it's still a worthwhile conversation to have, but I, I think that well, it's because way... those people have accepted that they're just going to wallow in it and they're not willing to do the difficult thing, which is to say, we need to, we need to crack down and, and do something that's uncomfortable, which is tell people, if you step out of line, we're going to fill up jails. We're going to build jails here instead of bars. Because you idiots keep coming in here and acting like a-holes. The city of Daytona did it to a certain extent. This is an event location. We have bike week. We have a couple of race weeks. We have a bunch of different events. And one of them, the the last year that it was actually in place was when I, I moved here. The summer I moved here, the week I moved here was actually truck week. 
And that was a unique event because it did not actually bring any monetary value to the city. It was just a bunch of punk 18 to 22 year old kids that came in. They, there was no commerce involved. They were just wrecking the city and they were just clogging up the roads. And, and the city actually said, we're not allowing truck week. And so I arrived in Daytona, moved in the house with the wife. My kids stayed at, the, at the, the parents' house for a couple of days. We go to pick them up. My boys had never seen the ocean. We were there in Iowa. My little one, I guess maybe yeah. when he was a baby, he saw it, but said, taking you to the beach. For, as soon as we get there, I drive them back for, from my folks' house, like a four-hour drive, and we said, we're going right now. Get them down to the beach. They go swim in the ocean for like an hour, and we're going back. My wife says, hey, I'm going to fill up um, my tires on my car there. We pull off. We don't know truck week's going on. Pull into this, this gas station, trucks everywhere, and these kids are getting out with and just dancing with their music playing loud. Like It was ridiculous. And we get rear-ended by these one of these trucks that has the front end that's elevated and the back end that's down. So the, the guy didn't even see it because my wife drives a Civic. And he rolls up on the back of our trunk. We're, we've been living here for like a few hours. And I'm already in a <laughs> vehicle accident. And after drop you were stationary. The, yes. It just sitting in the, just parked in the gas station. We're trying yes. to get in line. And but thankfully you that- your first Florida man. There it was. So there it was. And look, that dude got out of his car and came up to go scream at my wife. She, you know, she looks like a blonde woman that doesn't appear to be like Eastern European block who would knife you, but he just starts screaming at her. And then I got out of the car immediately. And just, he was young. He's probably 19, 20 years old. And I went up to him. I didn't need to yell. I just went up to him and I was like, my man, you need to back off. Cause he was not expecting that. So I don't care. I'm, I'm willing to be uncomfortable right now. If we're really going to do this. I'm, I'm in my, my mid thirties. I've made people like, that's fine. We'll, we'll handle this right now. Yeah. So we got, we got resolved. You want to experience. Yeah. If you want to, what do they say? If you're feeling froggy, just sleep. Yeah. You don't have to be a big guy to be, a, be to be, I, I've seen small people dismantle with attitude, calmness, training capabilities. Embrace and the fight. The first person that embraces the fight typically wins unless there's a massive size or skill disparity. But for yep. the most part, people that are getting it, grown men getting into fights are not skilled. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. I think, I think we've beat this to death a little bit on a serious level. I do want to finish out on something that's a little lighter note. And this, this is actually a few years back, 2019. This is a story, Clay Travis, who now, I mean, he's transitioned from sports guy to uh, news commentator. He's got the Clay and Buck show, but his, he came to prominence with his show outkick or his, website i'll kick the coverage and he used to do a once a week anonymous mailbag where people would write in emails and ask for his advice on resolving situations and some of them were just hysterical he's a really smart guy he's a lawyer he would give advice and and this one has always struck me i've remembered it because i thought it was one of the funniest uh, contributions to the mailbag and i thought it was appropriate way to close out a discussion on are you willing to be uncomfortable so i'm gonna pull this up and give it a read. Again, this is anonymous. This was from 2019. Quote, I accidentally bought a black inflatable Santa. So I'm a white husband and father of two young boys here just outside of Memphis. I live in a mostly white neighborhood, a little diversity, but not much. And as most white people feel obligated to say, I'm most definitely not racist. <laughs> Having said all this, I went to a local store to buy an inflatable Santa. My four-year-old loves Christmas inflatables, and we don't have a Santa one. I see a Santa inflatable on the shelf for a good price and made the purchase. We get home. I plug him in, and the inflation begins. My son is stoked to have a Santa to go with the Grinch and the snowman inflatables that we already had. Everything is going smoothly. When the head pops up, hmm, I thought he seemed a little bit darker than what I imagined. For a few minutes, I just stood there looking at him, trying to figure out I bought the Santa that I intended on buying. I looked down the street and saw another inflatable Santa that was the same height, same pose and everything, except this one was much whiter than the one I had. I went inside and spoke with my wife about the situation I found myself in. I asked her what I should do. It's just not the one I wanted. Do I leave, do I leave him up? Do I take him back and exchange him? If I exchange him, what do I say is my reason for the return? Do I say it's just not what I was expecting and that I want to exchange it for the white model? One thing my wife and I agreed on is that if it's returned, she would take it. She's Southeast Asian, so we decided it would look less racist than if I took him <laughs> back. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh, I, I mean, put yourself in that situation. I might be thinking, um, poke a hole in it, maybe. I, I, how do you resolve that? I, or do you just take take the hit financially and say, son, care. next year we'll get a different care. It's like, I'll send anything back, man. I think that's the other thing. <laughs> I worked in a restaurant. I can be polite and just be like, hey, I got the wrong model. 
why is that? This doesn't look anything like my skin color. Uh, my kids don't know what this is. I'm not trying to answer questions. I have little kids. The end. You know why? Because I'm the buyer. And the buyer decides whether or not the product was the appropriate product, whether or not it was my mistake. Ah, my mistake. I bought, a, I bought black Santa. I needed white Santa. Oh, really, sir? Yeah, yeah really. Yeah. Go you away. want to imply something, sir? I will... I'd be happy to take your I, implications. I, I I follow a gal on Twitter who I, I got to meet in person the other day. She's really nice. She goes by Yo Alex, uh, Yo Alex Raps. Um, so she has a thing called The Spillover. She's a podcast host. She's uh, very clever and, and, and she's very young. And she did a thing about how she found somebody on a plane that she wasn't going to save if the plane went down. And she was wearing, the woman was wearing a mask. Obviously, a mask in 2023 is already a, a sign. And the mask said, um, racism is the, vi is the virus. Oh, gosh. And I was like, you're missing out on a brilliant opportunity because every time this stuff happens, all you need to do is engage people with curiosity. You can absolutely destroy people when they say something. I, I, uh, I tell Ryan Matt at this time, when someone says something that's completely absurd and inflammatory, ridiculous and offensive, the best thing for me to say is, tell me more. I used to do this in the FBI all the time. If you're a crazy person and you just told me, you know, hey, Kyle, like, you know, you know, you got to stab a chick like that. Oh, tell me more. You just keep talking. We'll just see what, how much rope you want to run out on this. I don't need to tell you that you're wrong. You're going to tell you that you're wrong if I give you enough time. And so the same game as the mask or the black Santa, it's very simple. It's like, this is the wrong Santa. And they're like, oh, sir, uh, what are you trying to say here? And I was like, I'm trying to say that I'd like a different Santa. Anything else you want to add to this? That's on you. I'm comfortable with quietly listening to you say something absurd if you want to do it. And if you want to wear a mask that says racism is the violence, I'm going to pretend like I'm from 2019. And I don't even know why you're wearing a mask. So I'm only going to ask questions that lead you to whatever weird things you're going to say. That's Tell me you're a Marxist communist without telling me you're a Marxist communist. Of wear course. a mask that says, says vote. The person who wears the mask on the plane that says vote, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, you're, you're a communist. I got you. I will let them know. I'd be like, I love that you are such a big fan of voting for Donald Trump. I don't know why. I'm like, I'm not a huge Donald Trump guy. I'll just say it because I know that's going to upset you. And then I'll let you make a fool of yourself. I'm comfortable with just walking into the weird place and I'll step in that circle, the Venn diagram of people who say things that nobody knows what's going to come next. And I will invite you into my circle. Do you want to step into the uncomfortable circle? I'm cool with it. I've held my breath for multiple minutes while someone was trying to kill me. I've pooped in a can and stood in the same box for 48 hours in the dark. Like, let's do weird stuff. I'm in for it. That's what I signed up for. Are you ready to go there with me? Because I'm already there. Like, I wake up early. I train for that, for fun. It sounds interesting to me. That's getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And usually what happens is people bow out and walk away. And they know they lost. And they know that they were the weird one. So that's okay. Let it happen. Well, I appreciate you today for not letting me be the weird one on the show. You talk about... Take, taking Black Santa back to the to the store, uh, but I, I do yeah. Th thanks thanks for joining me today, Kyle. On this, uh, I think this was a, a a fun conversation to have. I think that it needs to be had more often. We folks need to be willing to be comfortable being uncomfortable. They need to be willing to sacrifice everything they can. I want to close us out. Uh, this was also a part of my speech uh, that I was delivering last week in Arizona. I talked about the comfort section and and a willingness to take take other things on. And I think that this is the best way to, to, to close it out. I'm, I'm a student of history. This is actually from, uh, from President Reagan's first inaugural address where he quotes a private Martin Trepto from World War I. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's a mentality that we need to have more. And if we're going to pull back from the brink, I'm going to let Ronnie Reagan uh, send us off uh, from the AMRAD pod on a Saturday. Let's hit it. And on the far shore... The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. 
Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small-town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. The crisis we're facing today does not require of us the kind of sacrifice that Martin Treptow and so many thousands of others were called upon to make. It does require, however, our best effort and our willingness to believe in ourselves and to believe in our capacity to perform great deeds, to believe that together, with God's help, we can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. And after all, why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans. God bless you and thank you. Thank you very much, President Reagan, for that remark. I think it's a great way to close it out today. Look, we all don't have to make the same sacrifice that Private Treptow made. And you could actually hear it in Reagan's voice there. He was actually broken up reading that that diary entry from, from the private. It is going to require something, though, from all of us. We have to be actually active and engaged citizens contribute whatever you can. Uh, I know it's it's easy to get fired up and you want to get involved in attend things and then you're spread too thin. So that's when the faith component comes in. You have to have faith that if you have 10 agenda items that you're going to focus on number one and that the faith that your number two is going to be your neighbor's number one and that your number three is going to be somebody down the blocks, number one, and your number four is going to be someone around the corners, number one. And if we all paint the section of the fence that is in our yard, the fence will be painted across the whole block. So I, I think that that's, that's my mentality. That's what I'm going to continue to fight. That's what we're going to continue from the uh, American Radicals podcast to bring you this information. Make sure that you're going about your day as a knowledgeable citizen and as you're taking on any of the, in the fights that you do. I thank you very much for joining me today on this episode. I thank Kyle Serafin very much. You can follow him on all social media at Kyle Serafin. You can follow Garrett O'Boyle, who will return next week at G-O-B Actual. You can follow me at Real Steve Friend. uh, And you can follow the show at AmRadPod. I think you all should, I hope you all have a, a fantastic rest of your weekend. And we will see you on Tuesday at noon. Thank you very much. And God bless you all. been listening to the voice of the suspendables on the american radicals podcast follow us on rumble.com slash am rad pod <laughs> <laughs>